Welcome to We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, engineers, and anybody who is interested in robotics. Hosted by the Unlimited Robotics Team. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, makers, and anyone who is interested in robotics. Today, we have a super interesting guest, Dr. Javier Alonso Mora. Hi, Javier. How are you? Hi, guys. Very nice. And you? How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for participating in today's episode. We have a lot to discuss about, but before we start, we want to give you a quick Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, we are happy to have you. Um, and we want also to tell our listeners and our audience who you are. So Dr. Javier Alonso Moa is an associate professor at the Cognitive Robotics Department of Delft University of Technology where he leads the Autonomous Multi-Robots Laboratory. His main research interest is in navigation, motion planning, and control of autonomous mobile robots, with a special emphasis on multi-robot systems, on-demand transportations, and robots that interact with other robots and humans in a dynamic and uncertain environment. He has published over 60 papers in premier venues, and his work has appeared in major media outlets. He is the recipient of multi prizes and grants, including the ICRA Best Paper Award on Multi-Robot Systems. We told you, he is a very, very interesting. Uh, so Javier, let's start with the first question, with your permission. Uh, I want to focus our discussion currently on navigation, motion, planning, and other elements that are related to this topic. So if you can give us a glimpse on why do we even need methods for navigation? Yeah, so navigation for uh, those that might not be so familiar with it, it relates to, to how uh, uh, an autonomous robot, it perceives its environment and by autonomous robot, uh, it will be a self-driving car or uh, a drone. So there are different types of robots. There are also warehouse robots. So there are many different types of robots. What all these robots have in common is that they need to perceive their environment. So they have sensors and with those sensors, they uh, perceive the environment. Those sensors can be cameras, uh, uh, LIDAR, different types of sensors. Then those robots, they process the information. They build models of the environment with obstacles uh, and so on. And then they need to reason. They have to move in that environment. They need to achieve a task. So for instance, a self-driving car needs to move through the streets. It needs to avoid pedestrians, it needs to avoid other cars, it needs to make safely the turns and so on and so forth. So navigation, it goes from uh, the perception of the environment to the actions of the robot. So navigation is thus uh, it's very important. It's one of the uh, uh, pieces of uh, having uh, autonomous robots in, uh, in, in the world. Okay, thank you. Regarding navigation, yeah. in Israel, we have a big company named Waze that was sold yeah. to Google, and this is a navigation software. Now, my question to you is, obviously, with robots, we are dealing with hardware as well. So what kind of hardware is required in order to help us with different methods of, of navigation and planning? 
Yeah, so here maybe I wanted to clarify one thing. So maybe there are two definitions of navigation. So one is the one that we are used with methods like ways and their navigation, it, uh, it means uh, finding a route. So given the map, given the traffic, uh, finding a route that you can then follow with your car and uh, they can account for traffic and other things in ways. Uh, for a robot, there is the next step as well that it also goes into navigation. So what a human does when driving the car, a robot also needs to do that. And that is also part of the navigation. So it's going from the, the map, the perception to the routes that that's what Waze does to the, the motion plan of the robot and executing it. That that's what the human will do based on the information from Waze. So I just wanted to clarify that, that the navigation for the, a robot is more than what Waze does. Uh, it's what Waze does plus what the human will do with the information that uh, Waze uh, gives. Now you ask about uh, sensors. So I think uh, there are different types of sensors. So we need sensors on the robot to perceive the environment. Uh, those are uh, cameras, LIDAR, radar, uh, that those are different types of sensors that the robot can use to detect obstacles, build them up, etc. Then we also need the sensors for how the robot is moving. So like internal measurement units, so IMUs, uh, and those can be fused then with the, the the information that comes from the other sensors. One could also use GPS. Uh, so GPS is very powerful because it gives you global positioning, but on the other hand, it's uh, not very precise. So that's what we, why we still need uh, cameras, LiDAR, IMUs, and so on. So those are sensors. All that uh, needs to connect to processor units. So like GPUs, CPUs, uh, all that kind of processing power that uh, then will uh, do something with the data and control the robot. And thank you very much for the detailed answer. And what will be the best method to um, communicate between all of them? Uh, what are the common methods today? And if you can point out the advantages and disadvantages of each common method. Okay, yeah, so communication between robots. So I will say that's something that is not uh, very advanced yet. So I think we still need uh, to do a lot of work in the community to have a reliable and uh, effective communication between robots. So, so far many communities in robotics, a lot of work has been gone, going on, on having a single robot perform its task in the environment or multiple robots in a controlled lab environment. When we talk about communication and we uh, want to do communication in the real world, then there, there are different ways. So uh, as you asked, so let me give you an overview. So there is uh, 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 like the internet, right? So Wi-Fi. So that's one way that robots can communicate. So we can equip every robot with a Wi-Fi uh, transmitter. And then we create a, a mesh network, a Wi-Fi network, and that way they can uh, communicate with each other with all the advantages and disadvantages that Wi-Fi has. Uh, we, they, can, they could also communicate via uh, the mobile network, so 4G. Uh, at the end, a robot is just a computer with uh, wheels or with wings or with uh, rotors, right? So any communication compute, com, uh, uh, technique that can be in a laptop, it can also be on a robot. Uh, so we have Wi-Fi, we have uh, uh, 4G, 5G, uh, all this uh, mobile communication. The advantage of, of mobile networks is that uh, then it goes through the, the mobile network. So any robot could communicate with any other robot within the 5G network. 
uh, 5G also is, uh, promises a, a big bandwidth that you can and low latency. So robots will be able to transfer uh, big amounts of data and, uh, and very fast uh, with very uh, small delays. So there is also quite some research that is going to go in the next years on how to leverage 5G networks uh, for communication. And then you can think, for example, if you have a fleet of self-driving cars and you have to remotely control this fleet of self-driving cars, then there uh, something like 4G, 5G network could be great. If you have just robots interacting locally with each other, there that's where you could use Wi-Fi. Uh, there are also other protocols for radio communication, like Zigbee is another protocol that uh, uh, we have used a lot in research. Um, and then yeah, you, if you don't have all that, there are environments where all these things don't work. So if we go into underwater robots, then that's a whole different world. Uh, underwater, nothing of those uh, techniques works. So then underwater, then you have to rely on other communications. So uh, yeah, sometimes also uh, visual communication can be used in environments where other things don't work. Uh, and underwater, uh, other things, I think like radar, you can also use uh, and radio signals. So there are different ways to communicate, uh, but the most common ones are uh, Wi-Fi, radio, uh, 4G, 5G. Okay. You mentioned before an issue that the robot should decide uh, about routes uh, as a human being would have decided uh, yeah. by himself. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you a question regarding ethics. Yeah. To which extent the robot should decide or get the freedom to decide on which amount of considerations to take into account uh, for each case, or a different question, what happens when conflicts of interests create uh, a situation in which a human being would have decided something totally different from an algorithm uh, of a machine? So I'll be happy to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, so this is the, the famous trolley problem, right? For uh, uh, cars that uh, the car is uh, driving, uh, there is someone that uh, is going to create an accident. What does this car do? Uh, runs over that person or crashes the car and kills the, the person inside the car. Uh, that's a bit uh, of an extreme. Uh, I believe that, uh, I mean, the, the algorithms, the perception, they could make our cars safer. So, uh, and this is one of the cases where it, it, this question really comes into play. Uh, with self-driving cars, autonomous cars, uh, how do we deal with uh, all these uh, ethics issues? So I, one answer is that we could manage to make uh, cars that are safer than the current cars. Uh, and in that sense, we will have less accidents. So overall, it will be better for society, it will be better for everyone. Now there can be corner cases and how do we deal with those corner cases is very tricky. So typically these systems, they have a cost function uh, that we optimize. So there is an algorithm that is going to maximize or minimize some uh, utility or cost function. That that could be designed by the, the, the human that the programs that robot, that cost function, or it could be learned from data. So those are two different paradigms. One is uh, coming from like deep learning. So learning methods that we learn from data and they could, for instance, uh, learn to perform the same way that a human does. So in that sense, that ideally that robot or that car will then drive the same as a human would have done because it has learned that cause function of how humans drive. 
The other paradigm is that we have a designer, an engineer, he will code those cost functions and then that goes into the system. So yeah, there is no clear answer. So the, the hope is that these systems are uh, smarter, they are safer, they can perceive the environment earlier, they can have better models and they can avoid most of those situations. That will be the ideal case. Uh, otherwise, then it will go into a, a cost function and it will minimize that cost function. And what is that cost function? That is a big question mark. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, but safety, just let me say, so safety is it's, uh, something very important. So, so all of us that work in robotics, we, we care very much about the safety of these systems. <laughs> okay. Um, another question is about a research that I read you're into or was into, and it's regarding a parallel autonomy. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to understand, first of all, what exactly does it mean, if you can explain this concept, mm -hmm. and how can it be implemented into the day-to-day -day activity of a robot mm -hmm. developer? Yeah. Yeah, so parallel autonomy was a concept that uh, it's somewhere in between having a self-driving car or uh, you driving your own car. So here we have seen uh, some examples, like there was uh, the uh, uh, Waymo, so Google cars or Uber cars that are fully autonomous systems. Where you go, you sit on the car, it, it brings you somewhere safely, uh, and that's it. There are other systems that uh, like uh, Tesla was one example where uh, you, you are still driving your car and then you press on the autopilot and then the Tesla is driving by itself. Uh, and at some point it beeps, it says, now you have to take control because now I don't know how to do this anymore. And uh, that's actually very dangerous because at the point that the car tells you, I don't know what to do, you have to take control. You you don't have time to react. So probably if the car doesn't know what to do, you will not have time to think about it and react better than the car. Uh, so you, should, the yeah, you can pray at that moment. Yeah, you can pray <laughs> indeed. Uh, so so that, that's, uh, that's a big problem of having a hybrid system. So parallel autonomy was somewhere in, in between. So here, what we wanted to do is to have some safety angel where you are always driving the car. But what you command to the car goes into an autonomy uh, system or uh, a smart system, an intelligent system that will uh, take your inputs and then it will do something for the car that is as close as possible to what you want to do, but that it's also safe with respect to the environment. So you can think of it as uh, having a fully autonomous car, but that instead of uh, doing whatever it wants, it's always doing what you as a driver want to do as long as you don't crash, right? So that's the idea. It's like a safety angel that uh, is, is taking the, the commands as close as possible to what you want, but they're still safe. And you're always in control in that sense. Interesting. Yeah. And another question regarding a topic that we read your in your into research, and it's mm -hmm. a human swarms, swarms interactions. Mm -hmm. So what kind of examples can you give us if you have any? Uh, about those type of interactions and the issue of swarms. We've been interviewing uh, um, Dr. Carlo uh, mm -hmm. about the swarm robotics, but mm -hmm. the issue of swarm is very interesting as a concept yeah. to different types of industries, but we would happy to understand what is your opinion on the human swarms interactions? Yeah, so for human swarm interaction, uh... As the name indicates, is when a human or multiple humans uh, do something together or control or command a team of robots, so a swarm. 
and whereas four means that there are a large number of robots, so more than just two or three, but maybe uh, hundreds or thousands or millions of robots. Now, the, the challenge here is that every robot has some degrees of freedom. So for instance, if you have one robot, you can control its position, its orientation, uh, maybe its velocity. So imagine that you are uh, piloting a drone. So you have to control, probably some of you listening to this uh, have piloted a drone uh, uh, or an RC car. So you have to For control sure. multiple, yeah, multiple things at the same time, right? So now imagine that you have uh, five cars or five drones and you have to control those five drones at the same time. Uh, it, it will be very hard, right? Because now all the degrees of freedom of a single drone, you have to multiply them by the number of drones that are in, in the team. And you as a human cannot do that anymore. So, so the, that, that is the big challenge of human swarm interaction is how to find ways that a human can intuitively control that team of robots. Not controlling them individually, because that's impossible, but maybe with some high level uh, uh, command or some high level uh, yeah, uh, yeah, control command to the system. So one thing we tried uh, many years ago, so that was during my PhD, it's almost 10 years ago now, I did it in collaboration with Disney Research, uh, part of the Walt Disney Company. And there we did a, a new type of display. It was an interactive display where every pixel was one robot. So instead of having a screen with a 1 million fixed pixels, we had a, teams, a team of robots where every pixel was one robot that could move in the environment. And then we could control its position and its color to display images. So that a human could interact with the system uh, in different ways. So it could draw an image and then the system will represent that image. It could also uh, interact with gestures. So that's another way for human swarm interaction. So you can have something like a Kinect or, or this type of sensors that recognize your gestures. And then with your hands, you could, uh, maybe you've seen the Disney movies where there is this magician that with his hands, he controls everything. So you can think of something like that also that- uh, so You're that you magician? Yeah, well, uh, anyone could be the magi magician, right? So I guess we, we are the magicians making the algorithms that make that possible uh, so that anyone could be the magician controlling the robots. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that will be another way. And uh, yeah, we, so that, that, that's for uh, animation. There are other applications, for instance, uh, search and rescue, uh, controlling teams of drones. Uh, I mean, uh, military uh, things, that's another area where uh, the military will have to control uh, many uh, drones or many uh, robots and from a control command. And that's also human swarm interaction. If we have a fleet of uh, self-driving cars, there will also be a control command that will check that everything is going okay and uh, take control of what needs to be taken control of uh, from time to time. So yeah. I hope that answers your question. I can go more in detail in any Definitely. You're, you're such an interesting person. We're definitely going to host you again. Don't worry. Uh, so we are almost out of time and we don't want to take too much of your precious time. And again, thank you very much for participating. So one last question regarding trends and interesting research other than yours that you're looking into and think they may catch the eye of the beholder in the next couple of years. Well, I think that there is really a lot going on in robotics at the moment. Uh, robotics, AI, this is a hot field at the moment. Uh, 
there is this combination of sensors, uh, processors, uh, interest from industry, and many companies. I mean, there is uh, really interesting projects uh, coming out from companies like uh, Google, Waymore, self-driving cars, or uh, Uber. I mean, I could name a lot of uh, companies working on self-driving cars, mostly all of them, all car manufacturers. Then you have all the work on, on drones, so like uh, this Amazon Prime Air uh, and others. Then you have all the work with uh, uh, humanoids. So that, that's also really interesting uh, because it's really complex to, to have something that is like a human opening doors and even driving uh, cars as we saw in the DARPA challenge a few years ago. Uh, companies like Boston Dynamics and so on doing uh, quadrupeds. That's also interesting or in Zurich, there are also more companies at universities. There is also a lot uh, uh, of interesting things going on in all these directions. So both at the uh, academic level with uh, very nice algorithms coming up from some of my many colleagues uh, around the world in MIT, Stanford, ETH. I mean, there are many. So I also find it a bit unfair to name any of them uh, just one. But uh, yeah, there is really a lot of work. It goes from underwater uh, fishes to self-driving cars, uh, humanoids, teams of robots that will coordinate to make something together, small blocks that make uh, things together, all the algorithms from uh, machine learning uh, to learn from humans, to learn to do what humans do, to reason under uncertainty. Uh, there, is, there are so many interesting things going on. <laughs> Dr. Javier Alonso Mora, thank you so much for participating today and investing your time and your valuable insight at this episode. I enjoyed so much and I can guarantee that I will contact you back again for additional episodes. <laughs> thank, thank you. So you. It was my pleasure uh, to be here today. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much again. <laughs>